Well, I hope you're having a joy-filled morning. I don't know if you were paying attention to anything other than Andy and Amanda trying to wrangle their kids during the Advent reading, but uh, the theme is joy uh, this morning. And uh, some of us have great reason to um, be filled with joy uh, this morning. And maybe for others, it's a little bit difficult. So um, maybe you can remember back when you were a child and you fell down. Maybe you were running along, you fell down, you scraped your knees up, you got your elbows into the action, a little rub on the nose. And, you know, you're in sheer pain and agony and some... Older guy, dad, grandpa, maybe your older brother or an uncle, somebody came along and made this comment. They said, well, as soon as the pain goes away, it will stop hurting. And that was, you know, it was just not good timing. That's not what you needed to hear, right? Uh, there's a proverb uh, that goes to that. Proverbs 25 and verse 20, it says, Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. Uh, so it could be that my timing is very poor this morning, and I want to apologize for that ahead of time. Uh, it, it may be that you are just in a time of deep sorrow, and there, there is space for that. There's a place for that. You don't need to feel guilty for being sorrowful uh, in this life, right? There, there are difficult things that we tangle with, uh, but we are going to talk about choosing joy, uh, even when we are going through difficult things. So this is a, a different thing that, that Christians teach. This is, you know, the way of Jesus includes this this different thing uh, when it comes to joy. It is the idea that even in, the, even in life's most difficult circumstances, we still choose to have joy. Uh, in order to kind of help me explain the difference between uh, what the Bible teaches as joy and, and how maybe we understand it culturally, uh, I'm going to show a video from the Bible Project and so uh, we're going to get like a survey from Scripture of what joy is all about. So listen in. Being in a good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphersune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or in abundant harvest on the hills. 
The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Hopefully, hopefully you have some idea of uh, the difference uh, between maybe how we understand joy culturally and what it means from a scriptural standpoint. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, uh, we see this as part of the account of uh, when God came to earth in the form of Jesus, right? It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Is this sounding familiar? Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy 
to all people. So uh, if you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard the story of Jesus and understand why we are thrilled that Jesus came. Uh, because he uh, paved a path for us to be reconciled to God, right? Even though we knew who God was, uh, you know, his existence and his divine character was obvious to us. Even in spite of all that, we rebelled anyways. We did things that we knew uh, that uh, displeased God, that were rebellious against God. So Jesus comes to give us an opportunity to be reconciled to God so that our sins are completely forgiven. And we are told that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is incredible news. That's why we are filled with joy. That's why when the angels came, they said, hey, we've got some really good stuff here. In fact, it, it means joy for everyone. At the same time, though, and this is what makes Christian joy a little confusing, at the same time, almost at the, you know, in very close proximity, Herod, an evil dictator, orders the death of children in Bethlehem, male children in Bethlehem under the age of two because he does not want a usurper to his throne. He is afraid for any possibility of losing his place of power. And so there is weeping, great weeping and sorrow in Bethlehem. It wasn't a very large town, we know that, but certainly there were uh, several families who uh, were in incredible deep Grief. At the same time, angels are announcing that Jesus means joy. And so, with Christian joy, we hold these things in intention, right? This idea of sorrow and sadness, uh, this experience of evil and tragedy, we hold that intention with a choice to be full of joy. So, I'm hoping that. Maybe if you're in a life situation now, uh, that this will encourage you to choose joy, or as those things come into your life, that you will uh, make a decision to choose joy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul is explaining why he is, he is so... Uh, so crazy for Jesus, uh, why he is so committed to Jesus that he is willing to undergo incredible, incredible things, like incredibly bad things. Uh, we'll start in verse 7. He says, we now have this light shining in our hearts. Uh, I just explained the light, right, the good news of Christ. Uh, so we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. So he's describing a, a piece of pottery that's so thin and brittle that if you put a light inside of it, you'd be able to see through it. It's like so brittle, it's like transparent. And so very easily breakable. He says, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. 
So that gives us a little insight as to why God has set it all up this way. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. So you see how Paul is holding these things in tension, right? We are pressed on every side um, by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So, Paul, I mean, Paul's in a situation not like our situation. Like, I might encourage you, or you might read the scriptures and see that, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of our mission as Christians to tell other people about Jesus. And you might go into your workplace, and you might start a spiritual conversation with somebody by saying, hey, uh, you know, what's, like, what's your view of the world? Do you think God exists? Or, uh, you know, how, how, what do you think of religion? Or something like that. You may, you may open up a spiritual conversation. You may go back and forth a while and share opinions. Maybe somewhere in there you have the opportunity to uh, share the gospel uh, with them. And that is just simply the story of Jesus living, dying, and raising again on the third day and the invitation uh, that we have to believe in him, to confess him as Lord, and receive eternal life. Maybe it gets that far. Uh, If that doesn't go well for you, uh, probably the worst thing that could happen to you is that person is going to think you're weird or something. Or that person's going to maybe be, maybe it's going to create some social awkwardness. In the Apostle Paul's case, it was completely different. If, not if, when Paul shared his message, there were mixed reviews. Some people got on board. Uh, They believed. Uh, Other people, they did not get on board. And their mission was to sink the ship, like get rid of the gospel, anything about Jesus, and get rid of the Apostle Paul. And so they beat him physically, beat him. Uh, I mean, they, they bullied him in the worst types of, of ways. Uh, they, they stoned him. They whipped him. Uh, they did horrible things to him. Like his, his gospel-sharing lifestyle required that he travel with a doctor. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts. These were written by Luke. He was a doctor. There was a reason that Luke traveled with Paul. Right, it, it, I think, I'm pretty sure it went beyond the fact that Luke liked Paul. I think the church recognized that uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul included getting beatings on a regular basis. And so they needed to send somebody with him to bind up his wounds, to, to patch him back together after he went from place to place sharing the good news of Jesus. So this is the lifestyle that Paul has chosen to live. Because of the reward, right? He says, but we continue, verse 13, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. In other words, (laughs) I realized that God exists and I could not stay silent. I had to say something, right? 
We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed. Now that's, you see the tension there again? Paul's getting it, right? I mean, he is seeing his body die. He is experiencing it. And not at just a normal progression of getting old. It is, it is dying quick because he is getting beat up again and again and again. Bad things are happening to him. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So Paul is reminding us that there's a set of scales. On one side is the stuff that we experience the traumatic things that we go through, the difficulties that we put, either put ourselves in or happen to us, uh, the situations where we feel like we cannot move, we cannot breathe, we cannot move forward, the most difficult of times. And we put those things on this side of the scale. We make choices over here about how bitter we're going to be about these things. We make choices about how much anxiety we're going to add. We make choices about how deep of a depression we're going to go into. Uh, sometimes we're, we're making some of those choices, and sometimes momentum builds and, and stuff just happens to us over here. This is a difficult, difficult thing to deal with. Sometimes this side of the scale is heavy. It's heavy. But Paul is reminding us that there's another side. There's another side. There's another part that is counterbalancing, not even counterbalancing, but that is erasing. It is such a heavy weight on this side that it makes those things over there light and momentary. It makes those things over there so temporary. Because over here, God has placed his finger on the scale. And over here, God promises to bring healing. Over here, God promises us that when we are in his presence, he has the power to heal us completely. Right? That there is no sorrow that this earth can offer, that heaven does not have the power to heal. Uh, on this side of the scale is eternity, is being in God's presence for eternity. On this side of the scale is God's incredible love, a love that is so deep and so wide and so incredible that it brings healing and life. This is the heaviest side of the scale. And it is so heavy that this side is light and momentary. Uh, 
Paul has made a decision to choose joy. Several years ago, I think close to 20 years ago, uh, we had a woman who began attending our church. Her name was uh, Vernice. She was, uh, I don't know, I'm going to guess 75, maybe 70, somewhere in there. An African-American woman, uh, and uh, she grew up in the South, and she had been labeled by uh, the church as a child at least according to her, as a devil child uh, because she constantly asked questions and just doubted everything that she was being told. And eventually she was, uh, at least she felt ostracized by the church and uh, decided in her older age that she would attempt to ask questions again. So she came, she started asking questions, and uh, we loved answering her questions. They were great questions. And when she was, you know, somewhere in her journey of asking all those questions, she decided to become a follower of Christ. She did not want to be dunked in the tank, so we poured water over her and baptized her that way. Uh, she was a wonderful part of our church for several, several years, but then eventually was diagnosed with leukemia. And it was a quickly spreading leukemia uh, such that they decided to life flight her to Seattle. Uh, she, she hated being on planes, hated to travel, uh, was very afraid of being on a plane, so she asked me to go along with her. So I end up on this uh, life flight it's a, it was a small jet, and there's a flight nurse, she's on the gurney, and there's me. We're all crowded in there uh, quite tightly. We take off from Anchorage, and the cabin starts to heat up, uh, like not just uncomfortably hot, but extremely hot. Uh, I am sweating, like profusely, uh, just incredibly hot. Like, I, I don't remember ever in my life ever being hotter than that. And I've, I've been to Alabama in the summertime. So, I mean, this was very, very hot. And I'm starting to wonder what's going on. But my role here is to stay calm because I'm trying to keep Vernice calm. And so I am staying very calm <laughs> with sweat just rolling off of me like crazy. I'm sure I lost 10 pounds just uh, like instantaneously. Uh, I look out the window and I see a significant amount of liquid coming out of the wing. And I'm 20, I think I'm around 25 years of age at this point. And I'm, what do you think I'm thinking at this point? Yeah, yeah it went kind of like this internally. I'm going to die, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't even know that fuel is stored in the, in, plane, in the wings of the plane at this point. I'm just like, I'm incredibly hot. I feel like I'm about to explode. Liquid is coming out. I don't know if it's hydraulic fluid. I don't know what's happening here. And so I'm trying to stay calm. The, the captain opens his door and says, hey, just so you guys know, we can't control the heat. And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I figured that one out. 
He said, we're going to have to make an emergency landing, which every passenger loves to hear, right? I mean, emergency landing, this will be great. And he said, so we're dumping fuel, and this is when I finally understood this. We're dumping fuel out of the wing so we can get light enough so that we can land. Hopefully we can dump enough fuel before, thing, before anything else goes poorly. How's that sound? <laughs> uh, I look at Vernice. And she looks back at me, she looks at the flight nurse and says, everything's going to be okay because I'm with the little big man. That was her term of endearment for me, the little big man. Like, I'm not God, so I'm little, but I'm still big because I'm a pastor, apparently. That's what she came up with, little big man. The little big man is with me, and this is all part of the journey to go home. That stuck with me. Because Vernice had made a decision to choose joy. She was in a situation where, <laughs> by all appearances, her life was on the line. And she was in a situation where her life was on the line. Um, she chose joy. She chose to look at this side of the scale versus this side of the scale. She realized that this was light and momentary. Uh, this was a very temporary thing. She had her mind set on eternal things. She had her mind set on things that will last forever. And so in that moment, whereas a 25-year-old super tough guy, and I was very tough back in those days, I was fearing for my life. And I was, I was afraid. Don't let that out. But I was afraid. There was this old woman who was completely at peace, who was full of joy, who was <laughs> loving the situation. And I didn't know what was going on in her life because she didn't like planes. She had a great fear of them. She was about to die uh, because of leukemia. And, you know, just when you didn't think it could get any worse, the plane is about to crash, right? In that moment, she chooses joy. Uh, that stuck with me. And I've tried to always remember that when things get difficult in my life, that I have the opportunity to choose Joy, right? Later on in uh, Paul's writings, Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Uh, James says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? And the idea is uh, that in those trials, some things are happening. God is forming our heart and character. God is developing our strength. God is making us more able to do things in the future. We have an opportunity to experience God's presence and his power in a way that we never would otherwise. So James says, don't, you know, it's not about just like trying to be positive or having a good attitude uh, when difficult things are happening. Like the Bible's not saying be an optimist. James is going so much higher than that. Consider it pure joy 
when you face trials of many kinds. That is, that is high-level joy. That is a deep and sincere understanding of what is on this side of the scale. That is a decision to have a perspective that is all about a hopeful future rather than focusing on despair, rather than focusing on the things in this situation that are painful and hurtful. Um, maybe you have experienced a child falling as an adult, maybe even as a grandparent. Uh, you've, you know, you, you kind of saw the whole thing coming, right? They're running along, enjoying life, full of joy. Things are going their way. I mean, they're experiencing the incredible nature of their body and, in, you know, enjoying running, right? And then they don't see something. And they trip. And they go skidding across the floor. Knees, elbows, nose. They get some on their forehead now. I'm thinking that it's the right thing as an adult to not freak out. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't experience empathy, right? Uh, I have this weird thing that happens when I experience empathy. Like if I hear about somebody else's physical pain, I actually get physical pain. And this is weird. I'm, I know this is weird, but I know you are also weird. So I'm free to share this. So I get physical pain right here in my hamstring, a little bit into my, my glute. And like, <laughs> I think that guy is weird, maybe weirder than me. So when I hear of somebody else's physical pain, they, they fell, they broke this or broke that, I will get like a shooting pain up the back of my leg. Uh, sometimes both legs if it's a serious injury. So I have the ability to feel empathy. I'm guessing you do as well. If you don't, uh, please see me after the service. But uh, I think at the same time, we should, not, we should not freak out. We should be calm. And... Why should, an, why should an adult be calm in this situation? For a couple of reasons. One, we need to be the one to, to help, so we have to stay calm. But uh, the reason that we can stay calm is we know that this is a very temporary thing, right? We know that that stinging pain is only going to last for a very short amount of time. We know that when the pain goes away, it's going to stop hurting, right? We, we know that because we have had a longer view. So this is what God is trying to explain to us. This is what God is trying to get us to do, is to see this perspective. He has a much longer view. He is inviting us into eternity, by the way, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish and have eternal life. This is God's invitation. He's inviting us into eternal life. That's why he says to us, set our mind on the realities of heaven, right? This is the thing that allows us in the most desperate of circumstances, even those families in Bethlehem who are 
in deep mourning and sorrow for their children who have been slaughtered by a, one of the most evil people humanity has ever experienced. Even in that situation, God says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I'm telling you, this side of the scale is going to blow your mind. This side of the scale, it's just, it is going to wipe away pain. When you see this, when you experience this, it is going to be a good day like you have never known, like you cannot imagine. That's what the angels are trying to convince these shepherds of. Don't be terrified. I know, I know it's scary, but this is actually about joy. This is about a joy that, that will get you through any level of difficulty. This is about a person who can take away any level of pain and suffering, can reverse any trauma, can redeem any situation, can repair any relationship. This is good news. Please join me in prayer. Father, you are, uh, you are good to us, but oftentimes this life is incredibly difficult. So I pray, uh, Lord, that you would help us choose joy. Father, I know that right now in our church, we have parents whose, children's, whose children are uh, estranged from them who are estranged from you. Uh, Father, I know that we have uh, people who have broken relationships with their spouse uh, or they don't have a spouse. Uh, we have people who are uh, hurting deeply physically or they've got close family members who are in physical pain or uh, are experiencing life in a tragic way. And so, Father, in these circumstances, it's difficult. Uh, so we just pray for your help to choose joy. Uh, we pray for your help to see, uh, to see the future, to know your love for us and to know that your plan for us is good, that you would fill our lives with hope and with joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to share a music video with you guys. Um, you might not like the music style, and I'm just going to ask you to just go ahead and get over that. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I, what I'm going to ask you to do is to spend a uh, few minutes as this music video is playing. Um, just reflecting on a place in your life where you need to choose joy. And I'm hoping that you will cement that uh, in your life. So go ahead.
Spotify. It has utterly paralyzed our nation. On a brighter note, uh, people are really... It's already claimed the dubious title of the worst of all time. Thank you for that, Nancy. Why don't we take a look at the weather? Watching the nightly news Don't seem to find the rhythm Just wanna sing the blues Feels like a song that never Stops
joy, joy, joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. On a brighter note, while our circumstances haven't changed, I guess our perspective can. Right, Randy? Couldn't have said it better myself. This is channel 13, Nancy Randy. You guys can stand. That's my prayer, that you get some fire back in the bones. From Romans 5, or Romans 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week, if not before. Tonight we have worship night. We'll see you then. Even better. <laughs>